You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked and give and go in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. I'd like to start by saying, whatever you do, do not go into the path of the wicked. It will ruin you. It will destroy you. It'll, it'll take you from this close to God, and it'll multiply that by 100. You will not be spiritually close to God if you go path, down the path of the wicked. Uh, it is a very dangerous and unstable p- place where not only will you fall short of the glory of God, but you will be separated from him as well. And nobody wants to be separated from God. Nobody. Uh, do not get caught up in the way of evil men. Don't follow dumb people who refuse to turn to God. They haven't chosen God for a reason. So why follow someone who refuses to choose God? Uh, Solomon gives us four things to do here in Proverbs 4 to try to ignore the evil men and the wicked path. The first one is to avoid it. If you see the, wic- if you see the wicked path or evil men, avoid them. Don't get yourself stuck in, stuck in it because there's a chance you won't be able to get out of it. Pass not by it. Walk the other way. Don't even pass it because it could pull you in, and it will pull you in. You walk past it, and it's going to pull you in whether you want to go that way or not. Sin is one of those things. You can, you can look at something for a split second, and your mind turns it into a whole different thing. You can lust upon it. You can you know, fall into that temptation. Just don't do it. Just turn away from it. Don't even look at it. Uh, the third one is turn from it. If you are if you are already in it, get out of it before it's too late. And four, lastly, pass away. This just means to pass right on by. Uh, you can avoid sin by being in the Word of God. You can pass by the path by being ob- by obeying God and being obedient to His Word. You can turn from it by seeking God's will, and you can pass away from it by seeking God's faith or God's path of righteousness. Even a small glance at evil can change your whole mindset into thinking that it is okay to fall into temptations and fall into sin. Some people say, if I sin, I can just ask for forgiveness later and it'll all be okay. But that doesn't give you the right to sin still. That doesn't give you the right to go out and do whatever you want. You gotta read, you know, be in the word of God, follow that word of God, be obedient to God, obey his word. If he, if, if it says in the Bible that Going out and drinking and partying with your friends is a sin. It's a sin. No matter whether you think you can, you can be forgiven from that sin later, it's still a sin. Most people say, oh, uh, like they start their day with, God, forgive me for my sins that I am about to commit today. That's not right. You, you, should, you, should, forg- you should ask for forgiveness after you sin, not before. You already know you're going to sin, but you should still forgive or ask for forgiveness after you sin. Uh, even a glance at evil can change your whole mindset into thinking that it is okay to fall into temptations or fall into sin, but you fall into sin over and over again. You aren't going to get anywhere with God. You'll just keep struggling and struggling until you realize that you need God and not sin. Let's not fall under the wicked path or evil. Let's fall onto Jesus and trust in him 
that he knows everything and will turn out for the glory of him. Nice. Very good, Christian. Thank you very much. That's a blessing, brother. And uh, I was thinking, as he was saying that, there was some interesting words there. You know, we use the terminology oftentimes that we uh, fall into sin or whatever, but I like what it says there in verse 14. It says, enter not into the path of the wicked. We don't fall into sin. We enter into sin. Um, And you know, just to show that, because the whole falling into sin thing seems to take the responsibility off of us, doesn't it? It's just like, oh, I was just going along, and oh my gosh, I just fell into sin. Uh, Well, usually we fall into sin because we enter into the paths of the wicked, and I'm so often reminded of a a great uh, quote that goes back, well, it's a a proverb, or it's a psalm as well, but uh, I can't remember the preacher who's uh, who would say it, but basically it's something along those lines that he who would avoid falling should avoid what? Some of you may remember the quote. He who would avoid falling should avoid walking in slippery places. Uh, so we can fall into sin, but a lot of times the reason we fall is because we're walking right on the edge. Where uh, The reason in the book of Proverbs that the young man without wisdom and without discretion you remember what he did? The Bible says before he ever fell into fornication with the woman there in Proverbs, is that chapter 7? Before he ever fell into fornication, the Bible says he went near to her. This is, this is a principle about Bible study and Bible doctrine in general. 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth rightly dividing the word of truth i use that verse right there because you know at at face value that's a pretty astonishing statement isn't it so study to show thyself approved get into the word of god that you know what it's saying And and one of the key things he says in this study is make sure you rightly divide the word of truth now what's the word of truth the bible so we've got to divide the bible well, how in the world, number one, I mean, d- does that not bring questions to your mind? So we have to divide the Bible? We have to, uh, we have to un- understand that we've got to do it rightly? How is that a possibility? Well, the way we can rightly divide the Word of Truth is honestly, as we study the Word of God, some things become pretty apparent. Uh, you know, I, I think about a couple of the, what's the biggest division that may come to your mind as far as rightly dividing the Word of Truth that, that may not take a whole lot of thought, rightly dividing the word of truth, what's one of the first divisions that comes to your mind as far as the Bible is concerned? Baptism was one. Old Testament versus New Testament is another one. Um, that's a big division. Uh, there's, a, there's another division. There's the division of, the Bible speaks of a couple things. The Bible talks about people in the Bible. The Bible speaks about the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. So that's a division within the Bible, uh, a division within the Bible. So when the Bible's speaking to someone, is it speaking to Jews? Is it speaking to Gentiles? Or is it talking about the church of God? And that, that's important, and, and that's a distinction that you find in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm, not give, I'm giving these as an example. I encourage you to look these verses up. But I'm just trying to make the point that there are some divisions within the Word of God. The Jew, the Gentile, uh, you know, and so there's places where the Bible is 
explicitly speaking to the nation of Israel. Now, there's principles that we can draw from the promises that God makes to Israel, but God has not promised you and I the, earth, the same earthly blessings that He's promised the nation of Israel. It's a pretty huge dis- distinction. And here's one reason that it's important to divide it as well, because, again, I mentioned the charismatic movement earlier. Uh, you know, one of the things that often... Now, when, when I talk about the charismatic movement, understand this. I'm not trying to put everybody that has charismatic leanings all in the same basket because it runs on a pretty wide scale. Uh, there are some people that have a couple little charismatic beliefs here and there, and, but, uh, but the, the, and some of you are like, what is even the charismatic move? But, but I'll say more about that in a minute. But it's the idea that sometimes, oftentimes a part of the charismatic movement is the, the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. You know, that if you... That if you serve God, if, if God's pleased with your life, if you have enough faith, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, again, the extreme is they will go to the extent of if you are wealthy enough or if, if you are, if you're, if you trust God, you will be wealthy, you'll be healthy, um, you know, you won't have problems, you'll be rich and all of those things. Uh, now, the, the, the trickiness with a lot of the doctrines that you find in the charismatic movement is that they borrow Scripture. So are there some verses that you can use that would indicate that if you serve and honor God and if God's pleased with your life, He's going to bless you physically and financially? There absolutely are verses. But are they rightly divided in their application? See, that's promised to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, understand this, the Jews are an earthly people with earthly blessings and promises. All the way to the extent that what we're leading up to here soon, when Jesus returns and, becomes the, and, and sets up His kingdom on this earth, the Jews are going to rule and reign with, or they're, they're, we're going to rule and reign with them, but they're going to be the ones that inherit the earth. So literally, even to this day, the nation of Israel is looking forward, whether they're actually looking forward to it or not, but what they have to look forward to is this earth. This earth. But now, us as God's people, the, thing about, the, the great thing about rightly dividing the word of truth is that the Bible makes a lot of these things pretty clear if you just read and study it. For the people and the preachers that, for instance, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's worth spending some time on, for the people in, that would preach and teach that, if you, are, if you love God, serve God, all that, you'll always be healthy, you'll always uh, be wealthy, uh, and if you, don't, it's, if, you, if you don't have wealth, it's just because you don't have enough faith and all these things. Um, there's some major issues that arise with that in the New Testament right away, and it's just in the sense of examples. Can you think of some great Christians that were actually recorded you know, from the book of Acts on to, the, to Revelation? Uh, can you think of some great Christians? I mean... Uh, what, what's some of the, can you think of some great Christians? Can you name any great Christians that the Bible tells us about in the New Testament? All right, let's go, let's go, let's start with the Apostle Paul. That would be a good one to start with. Was the, was the Apostle Paul a man that loved the Lord? Was he a man of faith? He sure was. And that's why he drove the finest chariot there was to offer in that day. Right? Uh, I mean, he, he was never sick. He stayed in all the finest Resorts and hotels when he traveled? Uh, well, that's not a true statement, is it? 
uh, well, what, what, where's the disconnect? Well, it's in rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul was a Jew, but Paul was a, a converted Jew, which in the category of Jew, Gentile, the church of God, the church of God is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, both under the church of God. So those that are part of the church are Jew and Gentile alike. And once we're saved by God's grace, we're Christians. You may be a Christian that's a Jew, or you may be a Christian that's a Gentile, but being a part of the church of God, you're a Christian. Okay? So now Paul is a Christian. He's a man of faith. But now, instead of being an, an, an earthly man with earthly promises, now he is a spiritual man, and he's got spiritual promises. God said, no, Paul, I'm going to let you continue to be sick or have the thorn in the flesh or whatever it may be. I'm going to let you be beaten. I'm going to let you be poor. Paul didn't have a change of clothes oftentimes. Paul literally did not have a change of clothes oftentimes. Um, but his blessings were that of a heavenly nature. And so uh, I, I, we could stop with him, but you could just read on through the rest of the New Testament and you do not find the health and wealth and prosperity gospel in the New Testament, we could bring it to our contemporary day. Uh, some of the finest Christians in this world today uh, are being persecuted and killed for the cause of Christ. Uh, they are living by faith. They're holy, righteous people. So again, with it, under the umbrella, which is a big, wide umbrella, uh, of the charismatic movement, again, one of the things that lies there oftentimes is the health and well, I'm not saying that everyone that's charismatic believes that. I'm not saying everyone that has charismatic tendencies believe that. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say by not lumping everybody, but I'm saying as a whole, or within, uh, under the umbrella, that's one of the things that falls under there, for instance. So one of the rightly dividing the word of truth is the Jews, the Gentiles, the church of God. Who's being spoken to? Uh, again, there's promises that we can read to the, to the Jews that we can make application to our lives. But we've got to understand that. And does it not just, and by the way, does it not just almost blow your mind or raise big red flags? It, it, it amazes me that there's preachers that actively teach the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. Because, again, they've got verses to back it up. And that's one reason that it's so popular. And that's one of it. And, and I'll. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to use the word dangers because I believe it is a danger of the charismatic movement. Um, I'm not saying every charismatic person is dangerous, don't understand me, but I'm, again, I'm talking about the movement. I'm talking about some of the general philosophies that surround it. Uh, is that, uh, is the misapplication of some of those scriptures. Uh, so rightly dividing the word of truth. And so that's one of the huge keys in understanding the Bible. In fact, there's a, a, an interesting application because really that was, that was actually what was going on in the early church, if you remember. Because remember, many of the things that the legalists were preaching and teaching, not all of it, they, they had turned a lot, made a lot of traditions and stuff as well, but much of it they had scripture to support what they were believing. So the, the thing was that God uh, had to do something pretty drastic in order to show that, yes, that was during this time because 
there's some that would not, not all agree with this either, but I believe among rightly dividing the word of truth is you can see different lessons that God had t- taught people through different dispensations in the Bible. Now, uh, when we talk about these different dispensations, that's a whole uh, another topic. Dory has got some great stuff on that if you'd like to read more about the dispensations. But, um, but I'll say at the onset of that, one of the, that's just simply to say that if you think about it, in the, with Noah, God instituted human government. You know, if, if, if a man kills another man, by a man he shall be slain. God instituted a time of human government. He, he, he instituted a time of the patriarchs. And you could see God dealing with people a little differently during these times. Um, now, once again, I want to say this clearly. When we talk about rightly dividing the word of truth, people, the, the thing that people, we, we have a hard time with is keeping a balance of what the Bible teaches. Uh, I mean, it happens all the time. In, in our lives as Christians on a daily basis, we have a hard time sometimes keeping balance. Uh, because, for instance, when I talk about the dispensations, which is a biblical uh, topic, you know, you can, that, that, that again, we can, we can disagree on some of the things about it, but, but it's a pretty clear and easy, simple uh, biblical concept. But there are those who take it way too far, and they're called ultra-dispensationalists. And the only reason I say that is even for me bringing up the dispensations, there are some people who are taught that, uh, that if you, oh, oh you, you're dispensationalist because the ones that take it to some crazy extreme, in the different dispensations, we see God dealt with people differently in different times in certain ways. But there was, there was a few constants and one of the main constants I'll say about God's working with man from the very beginning to the very end, and that is this. Man is, God's dealings with man are always by grace. And man is always saved by grace through faith. God gave the law. He did not give the law as a, as a thing for man to keep in order to be saved. God did not give the law for man to be able to keep so that he would be able to be accepted in the sight of God. Uh, and, and, and then, oh, well, and then God says, well, that didn't work. We better try something else. That's not what's going on. The Bible is very clear, very clear in the New Testament why the law was given. It was given, number one, to show God's holy standard. This is holiness. If you, if, <laughs> this, this is the standard. This is the standard of God's holiness. So that's one thing it shows. Another thing it shows is that you can't keep that standard of holiness in and of yourselves. Therefore, you need God. You need grace. And so, even under the system of the law, you're saved by grace through faith from, from, the, very, from the beginning to the end. Uh, so, uh, that's a clear thing. Now, just to say a couple things about the, the charismatic movement, I don't want to, you know, I want to... Be careful how much of the history I talk about because I just want to get into some of the more particulars. Um, the charismatic movement as we know it uh, basically began in 1902. And I believe that's sometimes an important distinction to understand because some people, you just without knowing the history, without thinking about it, they just imagine that this, that this, uh, that the charismatic movement has always been around and that's just always been like that's one branch of the church you know or there are certain certain parts of the church throughout history have believed that but by and large what we know of the charismatic movement 
began in 1902. And it began with the idea that we needed another Pentecost. We needed another Pentecost. We needed another baptism of the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God. And that's kind of where it began. And that's going to bring me to where I want to spend uh, a good bit of my time this morning. Uh, And that is talking a little bit about the book of Acts. Because the idea behind the, 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 the birth of the charismatic movement is we need to see that again. And I'll say, I want to see revival, and I want to see God move. But there are certain ways from the book of Acts that uh, were never intended to be replicated, and I'll talk about that for the rest of the service, actually. But, uh, well, at least for most of it, I think. And I'll try to give some time for uh, questions and comments and everything. But uh, I think one of the very first things I want to say about the... Uh, when we're talking about the book of Acts, okay? Now, this, this, to some this is controversial. I don't believe it's controversial at all. But I'm going to say this at the start, even though it's kind of in a late, later point, and that's this. The book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. The book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay, so what does descriptive mean? What does it mean to be descriptive, do you guess? To describe something. What does it mean to be prescriptive? Prescribe, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I guess those were dumb. Uh, So obviously we all know those, but it's just good to get that in your head, okay? Because I want to talk a little bit about the transitional nature of the book of Acts. By the way, in talking about the transitional nature of the book of Acts, this does not discount the book of Acts even a half of a percent. I'm just telling you the, what's uh, going on in the book of Acts. The events of Acts occur at a time when God's dealings with mankind were undergoing a major shift. From the communication medium of one nation, God was shifting to the communication or the medium of the church. So a major shift between the the gospel of John and the book of Romans. Let's just try to think in those terms here. The gospel of John and the book of Romans. Uh, Imagine you did not have, uh, I'm kind of getting way ahead of myself here, but imagine that you did not have the book of Acts, okay? Um, You would... uh, you would miss so much. Okay, yeah, here it is. I'm skipping ahead. I'm going to be skipping all around if you'll bear with me. But if there were no book of Acts in the New Testament, what if after completing John's gospel, you were immediately confronted with Romans? Of course, one big problem with that is the very first words of the book of Romans is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So you'd be wondering who in the world Paul was, obviously. Um, But uh, there's a couple other things you may not be able to answer. Uh, you might not be able to answer who were these believers in Rome. You know something else you wouldn't be able to answer uh, in the true sense when you get, I'm talking about the very first uh, couple verses of the book of Romans. What's the church? The church in Rome. What's that about? Uh, What's that about exactly? And there was a concept of the church, obviously, with Jesus and the apostles, but the church as we know it today... uh, we saw develop throughout the book of Acts. And so, uh, you know, you, you just think about what it would be like if there wasn't that connection. 
Throughout the Gospels, the Jews, the nation of Israel, were the people. That's how God was communicating in the world. Ye are a holy generation. You're a royal priesthood and so forth. This is how I'm going to communicate to the world. But by the time you get to Romans, it's, it's no, no, it's now I'm going to communicate my message through the church. I'm going to communicate my message through this thing called the church. Uh, and, and then not only that, but it went from, you think about it, an people, the Jews, to Jews and Gentiles. Um, so you went from just the Jews to Jews and Gentiles. That's a, that's a pretty big switch. I mean, think about it. Uh, to, you, you went from one ethnic group, Jews, to a universal regenerated people whose ethnic heritage was inconsequential. From a specialized, restricted priesthood, and let me ask you this, what was the priesthood that, uh, under the Jewish, who, what was the priesthood called under the, uh, the Jewish system? Or who were, the, what was their names? Their, Levites, yeah, sorry, thank y'all. Um, Levites. You went from that, so from John to, and, and again, Jesus is teaching these things, building up to these things, but then you get to Romans and all of a sudden, no. We're all priests. Wait, you're not a Levite. You're not even a Jew. You're not even a male. Doesn't matter. I'm a priest. I can go into the very presence of God. I'm just trying to emphasize how big of a gap there would be if you did not have the book of Acts. Uh, Acts records a shift, and it's clearly transitional. There's a transitional nature and it describes this transitional nature throughout the book of Acts. Um, without a clear understanding of Acts, a Christian or a church movement is very apt to establish its teaching from, with, uh, from its pages without comparing and contrasting what Paul delineates in his doctrinal epistles. And I'm going to say this again, but I'm going to say it now because... The, the, the big thing about the book of Acts being descriptive and not prescriptive is this. You know, well, I'll, I'll, I'm just, I'll just go ahead and jump way ahead of myself here and maybe come back. You know, when we think, we think about dreams and visions, for instance. I'm just going to use this as an example. We, and we can think of many of the things that were described in the book of Acts. We can think about, uh, you know, the baptism was mentioned in the transitional part. Uh, and, we're, and, and in particular, the baptism of the Holy Ghost of God. Uh, and so let me maybe start there. And again, I may be all over the place here, but just, just try to hang with me. Uh, before, before Pentecost and before the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit of God was an active member, that God's Spirit was an active member working among the Jewish people. Um, and he would come upon, uh, I, I could even, uh, you know, I, I may even believe that he would come upon, I may even believe that that would, that, that coming upon people could include indwelling people, and there's some argument about that. But the Holy Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament would definitely come upon people. Uh, but what would happen, oftentimes he'd come upon people, they would perform a special task, and then what would, where would, the, Holy, what would the Holy Spirit do? He would leave. 
He would leave them. He would come upon people for special tasks. He would, uh, he would come and he would go. The people of the Old Testament were not indwelt with the Holy Ghost of God the way that you and I are today. You want to know something else that's kind of funny? In our Bibles, we divide the Old and New Testament from, uh, from Genesis and what's the last book of the Old Testament? And I'm not trying to be a trick question here, but, but Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament in your Bible. But, in, the, in a truer sense of the word, the Old Testament would run up to the last chapters of the gospel. The gospels. The Old Testament, in the book of John, the Old Testament would, if we just use John for instance, the Old Testament ends in... Um, uh, John 19, because the new covenant was purchased with the blood of Christ. That, that's that Testament and covenant is the same word. And we don't often think of it that way, but in the true sense of the word, when Jesus was walking this earth preaching to his disciples, technically it was still under the Old Testament, Old Covenant period. Talking about rightly dividing the word of truth, Old Covenant, New Covenant. So, there, there, there's quite a distinction there. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon people now. But Jesus said, something's going to change. I'm with you, but when I go away, I'm going to send another comforter. I, the, when, I'm going to go, the Holy Spirit's going to come down. Now, were the people prior to the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling people, were they saved individuals? Were they, I mean, and again, maybe not exactly the way we think about it because they weren't indwelt with the Holy Ghost, but yes, they were. The, the apostles weren't unsaved people outside of Judas, but the rest of them, they were saved. They, they had been saved by grace through faith. They'd put their faith and trust in Christ. Uh, they were living for Christ like many others had and living for God like many others had through the Old Testament up until this point. But the difference is none of them were were indwelt, transformed in the way that we are today, in the way that they were after Jesus ascended. He died, He rose again, He said, I'm going to come up, the Holy Spirit's going to come down. So what you had, what the Bible begins to describe in Acts chapter number 2, is a group of saved individuals that were not indwelt by the Holy Ghost of God. So the Holy Ghost of God comes down, and indwells these people. Now, for you and I today, the Bible teaches very clearly, and by the way, you see this as the book of Acts progresses, but the Bible says and teaches that when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are baptized with the Holy Ghost of God. In other words, you are baptized, you are identified with Christ. And the Bible says furthermore, in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Which is to say, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. But if you are saved, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when a person is saved today, and when a person... So, according to the Bible, when is a person then indwelt with the Holy Ghost of God? Immediately, when you get saved. 
But it sure does seem to look a lot different today when a person is baptized in the Holy Ghost, receives the Holy Spirit of God, than it did in Acts chapter number 2, doesn't it? Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of things look different from what we see following in the book of Acts chapter number 2. And that's one of them. Um, the point is just simply this. There was a difference there. Um, and the, the, the transitional nature is seen beginning with that. Now, what happened? Those apostles, and th this is the same with many of the signs and wonders that followed throughout the book of Acts. Now, can, can, God, st can, can God still do the things that He did in the Old Testament? I mean, or in the, in the book of Acts? Absolutely. There's, uh, we, we know that God is not limited outside of He's limited by where He's made limitations as far as His Word, what He said is and what He says is not. But the point I just want to make is this. By time, when you think about the signs and wonders that we saw described throughout the book of Acts, and I want to say this, by the way, quickly, when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost of God, there's at least four different descriptions of ways that people receive the Holy Ghost of God after believing in the book of Acts. And one, at least one was upon believing. Um, I better give those to you while we're talking about it. Um, oh, man. Okay, but I can give you the chapter, but not the reference, okay? Acts 2, they believed, the Holy Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues, uh, other languages. Acts chapter 8, they believed, and there was the laying on of hands by Peter and John in Acts chapter number 8. And there were actually no signs that followed that one. Uh, Acts chapter 10, the moment they believed, the Holy Spirit fell on him right in the middle of the message. He didn't even get done preaching, and they were able to speak with other languages. Acts chapter number 19, at the time of believing, by the laying on of hands of Paul in Acts chapter 19. Uh, just to say that the thing with the book of Acts is there's not just one way even that the Holy Spirit of God was received. These other people, they had already believed, received Him. Others began to believe and receive Him automatically. But many of the gifts and many of the signs and wonders, the Bible says this about signs, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians 1. The Bible says that the Jews seek after what? A sign. Amen? Uh, the Jews seek after a sign. Uh, but then Jesus, in another place, says a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, doesn't he? Uh, so there's that side of things, too. The point that I'm trying to make with a lot of things that are described in the book of Acts is they're described there, but then get to Romans. Romans begins to tell us the doctrines of salvation by grace through faith, it tells us about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God. And then it also gives us very practical living. And outside of um, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's having to write to them because of the abuse of some of the spiritual gifts, isn't he? He's having to write to them uh, concerning the abuse of many of the, the spiritual gifts. Listen, God still gives spiritual gifts. Every one of you, if you're saved by God's grace, have at least one spiritual gift. Um, but when it comes, comes to what Paul was addressing, we see that he addresses these things. 
But he also says something else during that time. In, in the midst of the talk about signs, gift, sign gifts in particular, he gives 1 Corinthians 13. And in there, he makes this statement, when that which is, it, that when that which is uh, perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. The in part was the fact that there was not, no completion of the New Testament yet. But once we have the New Testament, we've got what God says. And we do not need extra revelation. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to our hearts and lead us, but He does so in accordance to the Bible. It's not extra biblical revelation. And let me kind of back up here again. The point that I was trying to make is this. The book of Acts is more descriptive than it is prescriptive. Just look at the way it's written. Starting with Romans on... It's up until the book of Revelation, it is very prescriptive. It is telling you, it is teaching you doctrine. It's teaching you what to believe. It's teaching you things that you ought to pursue. Uh, uh, and it's interesting that when he's talking about these things that we pursue, what are they? They're more of a spiritual nature. Uh, so j just to say that the transitional nature now, when we think about the signs and wonders, um, let me see. I want to pick back up somewhere in this category. When we think about the, uh, the sign, signs and wonders in particular, the Jews require a sign. One of the reasons that there was so many miracles that happened, and miracles are still happening. I, I want to be, uh, you know, a lot of these things we we'll have to talk about, in, I think, in more time, but... A lot of the things that God was doing there, remember, if He hadn't done what He did in the book of Acts, as far as the miracles and the things, and the thing that you'll notice throughout the times, especially some of the sign gifts, the times that those were being incorporated, in almost every, every situation, without fail, there was a Jewish person present to witness the sign. Why? Because God did not just, He was doing it as a benefit to the nation of Israel. Can you imagine if God would have just, Jesus would have came along and just said, nope, everything's changing. Bam, the next day, these Jewish believers are just expected to totally change the way they've been living. Because if you remember, even in the first part of the book of Acts, who were, who were, the, who were the, the, the people that were saved, the church, who, who was the church, number one, primarily made up of? Jews. I'm talking about almost exclusively, okay, for the first 10 plus years. Uh, and where were these folks, uh, e even, even Paul and them, on a regular basis? Now, they went to the synagogue. Uh, I believe one of their main reasons they went to the synagogue was to because you could speak publicly there and they would preach the faith, but still, they were still going to the synagogue. Um, so what God was doing was demonstrating to them, I'm doing something different. This is transitioning. This is no longer me and the nation of Israel. This is the nation of Israel has failed, but I've got, here's what I'm going to do. Jews, this is no longer just national, and it wasn't before God accepted everybody. It was the Jews that began to be more exclusive. Um, but God, God would welcome people. 
was, the purpose of Israel was to be a light to the world, just so you know. They got kind of pride and shut that off and they became more exclusive. But God, they, they were meant to demonstrate God's holiness and God's standard. But God was saying, okay, it's not just going to be the nation of Israel. Jews, you can now be a part of this new thing I'm doing. And it is a new thing. It's the church. And this is going to be made up of Jews. Oh, well, good, I'm a Jew. Do you remember these arguments? It's in the New Testament. Oh, I'm a Jew. I'm still superior to those Gentiles. No, 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 no. You're a Jew, but no, it, it's, it's equal footing. Uh, this is the church. It's made up both of, I mean, you've got to understand, these saved Jews that the church was made up of initially, it was a huge thing to transition from what they had been to what they were now to become. The miracles and the signs and, the, and many of these things, they were given to demonstrate to Israel that I am doing something new. And what the book of Acts is doing is describing those things. It's descriptive, remember, and it's not to say that we can't draw application. I love looking at the book of Acts. I love preaching out of the book of Acts and, and, and using and applying and, and using those descriptions. But again, the prescriptions come when you get to the book of Romans. Uh, I guess I would put it this way. We don't need a new Pentecost. We didn't need another Pentecost in 1902. We don't need one in uh, 2021. Now, do God's people need to get fired up for the Lord? Yes, they do. Uh, but here's the thing. If you're saved by the, Holy, by the grace of God, you are indwelt by the Holy Ghost of God. The problem is not in possession, it's in position. That's where the church needs revival. It's not us sitting around praying as if we don't have the Holy Ghost of God within us. Lord, send the Holy Ghost. We already have the Holy Ghost. But in many cases, the Holy Ghost of God is grieved in our lives. And we can and should have Holy Ghost power. But if you're saved by the grace of God, you are indwelt with the Holy Ghost. And, and the moment you were saved, you were baptized. The Bible says we were baptized, by this, by this, uh, baptized with the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ, into Christ. The baptism into Christ is not water baptism, it's spirit baptism. So we are baptized, we, we experience spirit baptism once when we rightly divide the word of truth. But then the Bible says after we are baptized, which is at the moment of salvation, after that the Bible says we're to be filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God indwells all of us that are saved, but, the, uh, but, that, uh, but he, that doesn't necessarily mean He's in control of our lives, which is the picture of being filled. Um, some of the things that happen with, you know... And again, I'm, I'm, I'm torn here a little bit. I think I'll just continue with my notes for now. We'll see uh, where we get here. Well, man, gosh, wow, it's time to actually stop here in a minute. Um, okay, let me just see if there's anything else I want to mention here off my notes before I go off of them again. Uh, I'll just say a couple of these. Uh, when you think about the transition, I've mentioned many parts of the transition already, but the transition went from a political kingdom to a church and a life, Okay. Uh, also, it went from Jewish believer exclusiveness, synagogue type of fellowship, to Jew, Gentile, believer. I just said that one. Uh, the, from the Old Testament, uh, 
from the Old Testament law emphasis to New Testament truth emphasis. And I guess if I had anything that I want to emphasize maybe in regards to, because when I talk about things, when you're talking about any counter-doctrine, anytime you're talking about what something is not, I don't want to spend the whole thing on what something is not. I want to try to teach about what stuff is. Um, but I will say that, again, I'm not picking on people who are charismatic, okay? I'm talking about the movement in general. And this does not necessarily apply to everyone that's, uh, that's involved in the charismatic movement. But one of the, uh, the, the things that happens within the charismatic movement is experience, okay? So as for a New Testament church, the Bible is to be the sole authority of faith and practice. The sole authority. That's what we go by. But what happens many times under, under charismatic teaching is that's, the Bible is an authority, but something else that comes in alongside of that, that authority is experience. Um, you know, so for, you know, we talk about Lutherans. Lutherans, they, they believe the Bible and their catechism, you know, and Luther and the writings of Luther. Uh, Catholicism, they say they believe the Bible and the Pope. And uh, you see what I'm saying? There, there becomes trouble when you start adding stuff. But under the charismatic movement, I'm not saying every charismatic. I'm just saying one of the dangers of the charismatic movement is that, that experience trumps what the Bible says when it comes down to it. You'll say, well, the Bible says this. Yeah, but let me tell you about something I experienced. Well, if you experience something, and by the way, if you go seeking just for an experience, you've got to be careful because the Bible warns about lying signs and wonders. In fact, it said specifically that the, that the false prophet during the time of uh, Revelation is going to be performing signs and wonders. So just because, I mean... Have, have y'all seen this? I mean, there, there's, a real, there's a real thing about, for instance, uh, the, uh, there's a, a statue or image of the Virgin Mary. There's a few of them. There's a lot more than just a few. Let me finish. That, but, but there's one in particular that will actually cry. Okay? Documented. Well, that must be of God. Right? That's what people think when they see that. Uh, he said, oh, well, there's waterworks put in there. No, there's not. It is a statue. How in the world does it cry? See, people look at that and say, well, well, how could you question that? It must be God doing that. Well, I do question that greatly. Because if that's leading people to follow and believe in Catholicism and Mary, uh, that's not God doing that. So say, God is not the only one that does signs and wonders. God is not the only one that gives dreams and visions, if you will. He's not the only one. So... That's why we're not taught to seek. And I guess this is a point maybe I'd like to come down to and try to end somewhere here. I really did mean to give more. I meant for this to be more discussion. I apologize uh, for not uh, being able to stretch the time longer. Never mind, I don't have that ability. But um, we're, we're not told to seek experiences. We're not told to seek dreams and visions. Now, again, there's some things that could be said about that. I'm not saying that God doesn't... Uh, speak to us in certain ways. And I think there can be some semantics in the scales of talking about some of these deals. But the point is, we're to seek God. And what happens is, I, uh, talking about experience trumping the Word of God, uh, time and again, 
I have personally experienced, and I'm talking about my experience now, but what I've experienced is people that I could show them clearly from the Word of God what the Bible says, but they've experienced something, so they believe that greater. I literally read an article from a, uh, a woman preacher, and that's a whole other topic, but, uh, and sh- she said, she said, I know the Bible says, 2 Timothy, or is it 1 Timothy, that a woman is not to teach nor to usurp authority over a man. Um, by the way, do you know one of the curses of the fall of man and woman? There's curses for both men and women. Uh, we, we both share in some of the curses. Did you know that part of the curse, ladies, is that you would have a desire to reign over your husband? But God says you can't. But that's just a natural desire. But the Bible says because Eve sinned, Eve was deceived and not Adam. That's why the Bible says that a woman's not to be a preacher, blah, blah, blah. This woman preacher was saying this in the article. She says, I know the Bible says this. But then she followed it up with this statement. That's why I was amazed when the Spirit of God began to call me to preach. Now, I've got issues with that. The Spirit of God wrote this book right here. And if the Spirit of God said no, He doesn't turn around and say, you know what, for you, yes. For you, yes. Um, But that's what she thought. Here's the thing. The Bible says there's many spirits going out into the world. And what I want to tell you right now is that there is that, that evil spirits, demons, do not only work in the satanic church. Okay? They don't just work in Hollywood and so forth. You go read the admonitions. We're talking about the epistles, that which is prescriptive in the, in the epistles. Time and time again, he's addressing already doctrines of devils. Now, Dude, are you saying that woman's demon-possessed? Not at all. I can absolutely believe that that woman's my sister and we'll rejoice together in heaven for all eternity. I can believe that 100%. But I can also believe that she has the ability to listen to a false spirit and believe that, well, God told me to do it. And you say, it was either that or she just had an emotional experience and maybe she just felt like it was God. So whatever. But the thing I'm just simply trying to say is seeking a vision... Sounds a lot more exciting than, hey, study your Bible. I don't study my Bible. You know, and, and, and we could talk about the pride and arrogancy that comes along with these things when you are the special gifted person that, you know, uh, you know more than anybody else because you have this special thing. And, and again, I'm not saying that God, I, I was, me and Chad were talking about this the other day and I got a kick out of it. But he said, because I don't want... I don't want you to read, I don't want you to think I said anything that I didn't say today. Anytime I teach or preach, that may sound like a simple thing, but I do not want you to think I said something I didn't say today. All right? You may assume I was saying something because I had a lot to say and I didn't say all I wanted to say. But ask me and go back and think, well, did he actually say he doesn't agree with this or he agrees with that? And I'll be glad to answer that question for you. But, uh, the, the, the thing that uh, Chad was talking about, he's like, he said, 
you think about it really in the context of things. We're in this church, most of you are used to hearing me get up and say, man, you know what? There, you know, number one, God called me to preach. We're used to hearing that terminology, aren't we? But if you weren't used to hearing it, can't that sound kind of crazy? We're talking about there's things that sound crazy to us, but don't that sound kind of crazy? And does it, can it sound kind of crazy, something I say on a regular basis, when I say, I know, God spoke to my heart. Now, he didn't, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, Ralph, was it Oral Roberts, or I can't remember who it was, who had a 90-foot Jesus come and stand in his living room and told him to, you know, something about money and chicks. I can't remember, but anyway, uh, I, I'm not talking about that, but still, to say that God's called me to South Dakota, I know this is where God's placed me. And you know what? That's 100% true, but Chad's point was, we think some things sound crazy, but he said, why does that sound any crazier than me saying that up here? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, that sometimes it's all a matter of, uh, you know, perspective and interpretation, but uh, we are Bible believers. We do not, God, God get, we, we experience things, but the point is, we're not seeking experiences. We're seeking God. I'm seeking to see God do great things. You say, is that an experience? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to just get... You understand what I'm saying? I'm seeking God. I want to see God do great things. Uh, I often talk about my dreams and visions, but what I'm here to tell you is that uh, there's, there's, uh, there's different things when we go to describe that, all right? Um, and so, boy, that's not a great place to stop off. Uh, but, but I went over my time for a little bit anyway, We'll dismiss, and, uh, and I, I will try to answer any questions, or, or, and I will try to clarify anything I can clarify, but we only have about nine minutes before church starts. So uh, if there's something you may want to write down, because uh, I may not be able to address and have a really good conversation with you within the, the eight or nine minutes that we have here in a moment. So uh, anything you want to ask me, get clarity on, because again, that was me trying to say what could probably take a year to teach on. I was trying to say, uh, okay, Ralph. Mm-hmm. 